back from break. If you got a break, if not, welcome back anyway. We're in a series called Jesus Revealed, and the point of the series is to to steer our attention, our focus, our hearts, our minds toward toward Christmas, and to look at some well-worn Christmas passages, hopefully from a little bit different angle. And tonight is kind of a bonus round. Um, we were just going to do three parts of this series, but uh, we added this one. Um, this is uh, Jesus Revealed Scandal, and uh, it might be a little bit different take on Christmas than what you are used to, but scandal actually is a theme throughout Scripture, and there are lots of uh, scandals of human origin throughout Scripture, just really stuff that would blow our mind if we read them, um, but there's also this theme that God actually uses this word scandal to um, really approach humanity with the gospel, that the gospel itself is scandalous. The gospel itself is good news, and it is life-giving, and it is everything, essentially, that we need for all of eternity, and yet it is offensive by nature. So we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper tonight. Um, Throughout this whole series, we see elements of scandal. Last week, were the shepherds and the fact that God re- decided to reveal this awesome news of the coming of Jesus, not to the political elite, not to the wealthy, but to the disenfranchised, to the outcast, to the shepherds, to the smelly, uh, lowest people on the totem pole socially that there possibly was. And um, that was a bit scandalous. Next week, not to... Not to ruin that for you, but um, next week we'll see this threat that came because of the birth of Jesus. And so even around the birth of Jesus, there is all sorts of scandal. And tonight I want to look at that through the lens of Joseph the carpenter, okay? And really what I want to do tonight is talk about um, the scandalous birth of Jesus through, through Joseph. And uh, my four points are this, the reveal, the response, the reaffirmation, and the reprise, okay? Are you intrigued? Yes, you are, so that's so good, good, um, good. Tell you what, uh, Ralph just prayed, but can, can we stand and just pray together specifically for our hearts and minds to be in tune with with the Lord tonight. Father, we gather as your people tonight, praising you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that you reveal your heart and your nature, that you reveal your plans and your power. And most of all, you reveal your love to us. Thank you for the written word where we can read and we can study and we can listen. Thank you most of all for Jesus, the incarnate word. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The 
we beheld his glory. And all of us, even though we're a couple thousand years removed from that event, all of us in some form or fashion have beheld his glory. Thus, we're in this room tonight. So would you, by your grace, give us a sense of your presence, a sense of your delight, a sense of your plans and your sovereignty that are always at work for the good of your people. God, I pray that tonight we will get a sense of the scandalous work that you have been doing in our lives as we come around the scandal of a manger and of a cross. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matthew 1. That's where we're going to be tonight. So I'll have the words on the screen if you want to read them, uh, or you can look in your own Bible. Hey, boys. Hi. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So, here's, <laughs> here's a major mic drop at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, right there. I mean, this, in, its, uh, in, in one verse, we have this scandal breaking out in Nazareth, in breaking out in Galilee. And so let's don't miss that, okay? Every, every week you go to the grocery store, you go to Payless, and you're in the counter, you're in the line, getting, you're getting the checkout deal, and, and there's the, all the tabloids there, and telling us about who hates Angelina Jolie, and who, gets, who got divorced this week, and who got caught smoking this week, and all the scandals are right there for us, you know? And we see them so much, and you open up your news feed, and it's like scandal, 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 especially the last three weeks. And holy cow, we're on scandal overload. And so we become a bit immune to it, we become a bit numb to it. It's like scandals are a part of our everyday existence. So let's don't, let's don't miss the profound nature of this verse. The mind-blowing, like, are you kidding me? If you were a member of this little dinky community, okay? Let me read it again. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The proper reaction is, yeah, come on, let's get into this. Joseph says that Joseph, we don't know much about him, but he was a carpenter. We find that out later. And he was from this little town in, called Nazareth, and he uh, shows up, the last time he shows up in the Gospels is when Jesus is 12 years old. And Mary and Joseph took their boy Jesus to Jerusalem to a feast. They did that every year. And when they went to the feast, they would travel in big kind of caravans, right? The whole town would kind of go together, which is kind of fun, a little road trip. 
And I don't know if you ever went camping uh, with other families growing up or if you ever went on vacation with any other families. But what happens when there are lots of people watching the kids? No one's watching the kids. And so even at our, our staff gatherings, you know, like we're going to have our Christmas staff Christmas party in a couple of weeks. And what's going to happen that night is that we'll have a bunch of little kids running like crazy around this whole place. And everybody will be watching them, but no one will be watching them. And so Jack and James just have run of this whole place and they can do whatever they want because everybody is taking care of them. Isn't that cool? That is so fun. <laughs> so Jesus somehow gets lost in the shuffle, and they're on their way back to Nazareth, and Joseph and Mary look at each other and go, oh, where's Jesus? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And they start asking all their neighbors, where's Jesus? And they can't find him. And so they finally go back to Jerusalem, and Jesus is in the temple. And he's hanging out with all of the elite Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the, the, uh, the experts in the law. And they're amazed at him. And Joseph and Mary are livid. <laughs> Where have you been? And Jesus says, don't you know I'm, I'm supposed to be about my father's business? Yeah. Well, let's just go. And so they leave, and that's the last we hear of Joseph, okay? So Joseph died somewhere between that and when Jesus started his ministry. And Jesus learned probably the family trade from Joseph. We get a sense that Joseph was a man of integrity and compassion, which would have been a consistent, albeit imperfect, reflection as a, an earthly father to what Jesus was learning from his heavenly father. So Jesus grew up in this very loving home, very compassionate home, very um, righteous home with Joseph. He said he was pledged to Mary. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged is just another word for engagement, but their engagement was a little bit different from what we think of. This is right. Holy is that real? Yeah, they say three years salary. She's gonna like that. No, she's gonna love it. <laughs> yeah. So our engagement, you, you, three years salary, you save up for a ring, and you get down on one knee, and usually your friends are hiding in the bushes to take pictures, right? And that's not quite how it went for them. The formal uh, betrothal period lasted about a year, and um, the parents. Sorry, my cold here. Um, the parents of the boy would go find a young woman to be married to their son, in much like it is in our culture here. Just kidding. Not, that wouldn't go well. Um, and, uh, and then there was a, a, a year betrothal period where that was um, a time of official arrangements and prenuptial agreements, and they were legally binding. And the only way you could get out of that engagement was by divorce. And then there would be a wedding ceremony, and the couple would be husband and wife, and then after that they would get to consummate their marriage. And so Mary and Joseph were in this betrothal engagement period, and they had signed the prenups, and they had had the witnesses, 
and they, there were expectations, and they were making their wedding plans. And then Mary gets this news that she is pregnant as a virgin, and that her baby will be the savior of the world. So uh, that's a lot to take in as a teenager, right? But it was also a lot to take in for her fiancé. So verse 19 says, Because Joseph, her husband, which engaged husband, right, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So they were engaged, says that he was her husband, which meant they were in that, that legally contractual binding agreement. And so he sought to divorce her quietly, not wanting to expose her to public disgrace. Mary's reputation and her honor were on the line. But not just that, her life was on the line. According to Old Testament law, this was considered um, adultery. This was, this was punishable by, by stoning. And so he sought to divorce her quietly, knowing that this would be anything but quiet. <laughs> How many of you grew up in a small town? Okay. About half of you. I don't know what's true of big towns or cities, but small towns, everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows everybody's business. And so for him to divorce her quietly was a bit of a misnomer <laughs> because everybody would know. Do you remember uh, John chapter 4, the story of woman at the well? And Jesus is talking to this woman who um, has had this really awful past and has been married five times and is living with a guy that's not her husband. And she's at the well in the middle of the day because there is embarrassment attached to her. There is isolation attached to her. Because she lived in this small town where everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everybody's business. And so she was an outsider who then, through Jesus, became an insider. And so that same dynamic is happening in this little town of Nazareth. Small town gossip is brutal. But how he handles the scandal is amazing because he, he handles it with, uh, with righteousness and compassion. The righteousness part is legally I have to divorce her. The compassionate part was to protect her as much as he could. But, verse 20, or better translation is behold, which means hold the phone, <laughs> which means wait for it. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. 
So this is the, the reaffirmation. We, we saw the response that Joseph had, and this is the reaffirmation. The angel appeared in a dream. For Mary, the angel had appeared in person. And he had said, don't freak out. Grace to you. You're going to have a baby and who happens to be the Savior of the world. And that's what the angel said directly to Mary. To the shepherds, the angel appeared directly, but in the sky, right? But to Joseph, he appears in a dream. He's the messenger of the good news, and, but he mixes it up in how he delivers it. And he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And so, if you can kind of put yourself in Mary's shoes for a bit, what she's feeling, and then put yourself in Joseph's shoes, what he's feeling as well. And for both of them, their emotions would have been all over the place. I mean, there would have been confusion, and there would have been embarrassment, and there would have been probably some fear. And so the angel says very specifically, don't be afraid. Not afraid of an angel appearing in a dream. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You will name him Jesus. Jesus just means God saves. And it was a common name. Lots of Jewish families named their babies Jesus. And it was kind of a kind of an expectation because this was, you know, right in the middle of Roman occupation and the Jews had it really hard. And so they prayed all the time for deliverance from the Romans. And before that had been deliverance from the Babylonians and before that deliverance from the Assyrians. And so for generations and hundreds of years there have been prayers and expectations and hope for a Messiah, hope for a deliverer, hope for a savior. And all the way through the Old Testament prophets you see that hope come out and you see that one day, one day there's the promise that Messiah will come. And so Jesus was a way of saying, yes, come, please, save us. God saves. Yeshua saves. So that was a common, common name. But the angel said there's way more to the story than that. I'm not talking about Roman occupation here. I'm talking about souls. He will save people from their sins. Jeremiah 31 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In fact, the birth of Jesus is fulfilling multiple Old Testament prophecies. And this verse 22 is directly from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So then we see Joseph's obedience. We know he's a man of integrity. We know he's a man of compassion. We know that he's righteous, but he's also loving. But now we see the fact that he hears and he obeys. He acts upon what he has been told. He marries her. 
He marries her knowing that there will probably be a lot of connotations to that, ramifications of that obedience. Obedience is always costly. Discipleship is always costly. It can cost us our reputation. It can cost us our name. It can cost us, in some parts of the world, our life. And so, Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, he must what? What's the verse say? What, Jay? What, what? If anybody would come after me, he must deny himself. Yeah, yeah. Take up his cross and follow. So this is way before the cross, but Joseph is definitely counting the cost, and then he obeys. He obeys. He marries her. And then Matthew adds that he didn't have sex with her until Jesus was born. And we know that that happened later because Jesus had siblings. He had half-brothers and sisters because they show up later in the Gospels. The, the dogma of uh, Mary's perpetual virginity, that showed up about 5th century. And so, um, so Mary and Joseph had relations, but that happened after Jesus was born. And he called him Jesus. All right? That's the passage. So, the reveal, the response, the reaffirmation. But I wanted to talk about just this idea of scandal. And so, for that, I have the reprise, which is the repeated theme. Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, was the the preparer of the way, right? He came on the scene before Jesus and he said, coming after me is one whom sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And he is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist was like, throw caution to the wind. I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to dress in camel hair. I'm going to eat locusts and honey and I don't even care. And his message was one of repentance. And he was bold and he was confident in his power that came from the Lord. And then he got thrown in prison. And while he's in prison, he sends one of his, his followers to Jesus. And, and the question is really simple. It's like, are you the one or should, is there somebody else? This is, this is Jesus' cousin. And Jesus says this, Blessed is the man who is not scandalized on my account. Scandalized. Scandalizo. It means to trip up. It means to ensnare. It means to offend. It means a stumbling block. And it shows up 25 times in the Old Testament and 15 times in the New Testament. This is a, this is a thread throughout Scripture, this idea of scandal. And with Jesus, we see scandal of lineage. In the first part of Matthew, there's this whole, this whole um, genealogy 
of Jesus. And in that genealogy, in that lineage, are four women, which in itself would have been scandalous in first century Judaism because women weren't ever listed. But not only were four women listed in the genealogy, but two of those women, one was a former prostitute who God had rescued, and another was a Gentile through whom came the lineage of Jesus. So, that starts the scandal. And then the scandal of his birth followed him throughout his life. When he was an adult, the religious leaders were confronting him. And they chided him about his birth. John chapter 8, they asked him, where's your daddy? Where's your father? And Jesus replied, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. I'm telling you what I've seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you've heard from your father. And they said, our father is Abraham. We're good Jews, right? If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And listen to this. This is a major slam that goes all the way back to the gossip in Nazareth. We are not illegitimate children. You are. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God, and I have not come... On my own, God sent me. So there's scandal. This gossip followed him throughout his life. Even in his own hometown, Matthew chapter 13, coming to his hometown, he taught the people in their synagogue, and they were astonished. Where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't all his sisters here with us as well? Where then did this man get all of these things? The fact that they said son of Mary instead of son of Joseph is a major insult. In Jewish culture, people were identified by their father's name. And they were insinuating that Jesus wasn't really Joseph's son that he was illegitimate. Small-town gossip can be a stigma your whole life. Isn't this Mary's son? We don't even know who your father is. And even to his family, Mark chapter 3, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they, were to, they went to take charge of him. They said, this, this is his own family. This is his mama. This is his brothers and his sisters. They said, he is out of his mind. How would you feel if your mama and your brothers and your sisters said, he is out of his mind? Maybe they have said that. We can talk afterwards and we Jesus was so unorthodox, he picked the least likely people to be his followers. He treated women with utmost respect. He associated the people who 
with people who were the most marginalized and outcast tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves and lepers. He said outlandish things like love your enemies and the first will be last and the last will be first. And you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. His lineage, his birth, his words, his actions, his kingdom were so skindied so. Scandalied so, a stumbling block. And it was also a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. If you have a Bible, could you turn to Isaiah chapter 8? And would somebody turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 33? Just raise your hand if you, if you can do that. Romans nine thirty-three. Yeah, thank you. And would somebody turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8? Got it? So would somebody stand and read really loudly Isaiah 8, 14 and 15? So that's Old Testament. That's Isaiah. A stone that causes people to stumble. A rock that makes them fall. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared. Same word. And captured. Now look at the, the New Testament fulfillment of that. Romans chapter 9. I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The one who believes will never be put to shame. In 1 Peter chapter 2. This one stone, this, this rock, this Jesus, is responsible for salvation. I mean, he, he is the one that brings salvation to the whole world. He is life. He is the light of all mankind. And yet, he also is the, the scandal. He is the rock that causes people to stumble and in that sense, the gospel is offensive because it has the audacity to say that we humans can't actually save ourselves. And that causes 
people to stumble because the whole message of our whole culture is that you are self-made, that it is up to you. So to come to the realization that we actually need someone to save us, that's scandalous. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved, it's the power of God. The cross is offensive to those who have yet to taste grace because it says there is ultimately nothing you can do to change your root condition. It says you can't do this on your own. It says that you need a savior. But the cross to those who have received it, to those who have accepted and received God's good grace, it's a completely different narrative, completely different picture. To those who have experienced grace, Paul says we boast in the cross because it removes guilt and shame and it gives us our true identity. To boast in the cross means that we find ourselves there. And so, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This beautiful, scandalous cross is what saves us. So, isn't that cool? This thread throughout all of Scripture of God's stumbling stone, (laughs) God's foolishness, is the very thing that saves us. That the cross is our life. So, with that in mind, can we take communion tonight? And I want to focus back on something that the angel told Joseph. He said, the people will call him Emmanuel. And I was curious about that because it's like no one ever called him Emmanuel. You know, there was the, the prophecy in Isaiah that he would be called Emmanuel. The angel said, people will call him Emmanuel. But the, the disciples never said, hey, Emmanuel, let's go fishing, you know? The religious leaders never called him Emmanuel. His mama never called him Emmanuel. But Emmanuel means God with us. And essentially, that has been the title of Jesus that has meant, I think, the most to me. There are so many titles of Jesus. I mean, he is the hope. He is the Messiah. He is the light of the world. But he is the God who is with. He's the God who is with us. It's both his deity, it's God who is with us, and it's his nearness to us. He's with us. So his purpose, he came to to save us from our sin. 
to save us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the presence of sin. So that's the scandal of the cross, but that also, this Jesus is the God who is with us. He is the the perfect sacrifice, the only one who could take away the sins of the world, but he is the personal, the God who embraces. So we just don't have this ultimate sacrifice, but we have the God who is with us. And I, I'd just like to, for us to take both of those into in intention as we come into communion tonight. That our status has changed because of Jesus. <laughs> but our heart has also completely changed because of Jesus. Spurgeon said this, If Jesus Christ be God with us, let us come to God without any question or hesitancy. Whoever you may be, you need no priest or intercessor to introduce you to God, for God has introduced himself to you. So, let's pray. Lord, we want to celebrate this scandal of grace tonight. Not from a, a, a place of, of uh, supposed superiority that we've got it figured out and other people don't, but from a place of humility that we have experienced and received God's good grace, your good grace And that has changed everything. So I I pray that that which so often is a a stumbling block (laughs) could in each of us become our salvation. That, Father, in your grace and in your patience, you would remove the obstacles that we put up that keep you at a distance. That we would come close tonight. Thank you that you are the God who comes close. Thank you that you call us righteous, not because of our inherent goodness, but because you see us through the lens of the cross. That we, through Jesus, have become the righteousness of God. And Father, I also thank you that the, the, the storyline of your scripture is that you use the least likely. You, you use the Ruths and the Rahabs and the Tamars and you use 
the obscure carpenter from an obscure village and the teenage mom that you reveal yourself to shepherds on the hillside and to senior citizens and to stargazers. Would you reveal yourself to us tonight? Would you come close? And would we, would we open up the proverbial door of our lives and of our heart and of our soul to receive you Thank you that we don't have to jump through hoops to get to you, but would you forgive us for putting up hoops for trying to prevent you from getting to us? Would you obliterate those tonight? We just want to give you complete access. We need a Savior, but we also need to make you Lord of every single part of our lives. And so we can't do that on our own. We don't have that kind of willpower. We don't have that kind of resolve. And so by your spirit, Lord, would you give us the grace to relinquish ourselves to you? Thank you that we are the, on the receiving end of your scandalous grace. And so we take this bread, we take this cup to celebrate that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.